0: Hey, everyone. Just so you know, season two ended last week. This week, I am taking a break. So I am presenting you with a fun bonus episode of my guest lecture at Simon Fraser University in Tamara O'Doherty's class. It was such a great opportunity i am so happy to have come into her class and be given this opportunity actually to speak to her class and and future change makers so tamara thank you so so much for this and season three will be beginning next week so don't skip a beat and we'll catch you in for next sunday enjoy the episode.
1: Um, I am super thrilled to be able to provide this space today so that we can hear from Steph who does her own podcast and you'll be hearing some more about some of the stuff that Steph does through that. Um, Steph and I don't actually know each other all that well although it's been getting good for the last little bit here um, <laughs> but Steph is somebody who has connected with me through various different kind of um, uh, personal connections that that we, both, we have in common um, and one of the reasons that Steph reached out to me is because she is a former SFU student and um, so she is somebody who knows exactly where y'all are at um, particularly at this time in the semester and so when she heard about this class she said hey wait a second um, between what i'm hearing from other people and the class and the content um, i really love some space in there to to share some pieces with people who want to learn um, and I said, well, I happen to have that kind of thing available for you. <laughs> um, so we did done a little bit of a recipro- reciprocity uh, because I've also taken part in one of her podcasts, which was a really amazing experience. Um, I actually really enjoyed myself on that one. And uh, I'd love to hear some more about, you know, if you had any any other feedback for me too later on. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's another conversation for us. <laughs> I will keep that one there. So I'm not going to take up much more time because I know that Steph has uh, something presented for you. But as always, if people have questions as we go, please do use the chat or send it to me and I'll, I'll bring it up later on um, but with that I welcome you Steph into our space and
0: hand it on over to you awesome so I'm just gonna go ahead and start sharing my screen here so bear with me let's not start in the questions tab but <laughs> exit to full screen oh wait hang on hang on one second oh okay hang on I am sorry this is there we go
1: nope this is this is what happens when we practice it it all goes perfectly
0: i know and then it's gone (laughs) i'm like where did it go okay we did view we did master oh not master view present okay guys (laughs) sorry for that (laughs) but i am very excited to be talking to everyone today i am steph steph sia aka the host of strip by sia I am a sex worker based here on unceded traditional territories of the Coast Salish peoples of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations, aka Vancouver, British Columbia, and also online. And I am just really excited and honored, Dr. Doherty, thank you so much for allowing me into this space and also giving me the the opportunity to speak. On the work that I do, the podcast, why I'm doing it, why I think it's important, and to just to carry on this uh, conversation because I think we need to have more conversations about sex work because it is a it's a normal job. It's just a job. So I am going to go into my story, um, how the podcast came to be. Where we're currently at with the podcast, what kind of guests I bring on, and and stuff like that, as well as some current events that have happened. I'll bring that to light. And then, of course, the legislation surrounding and governing sex work. So I am gonna do my best in trying to encapsulate everything in this 30-minute time slot. So We'll see how that goes. And if you have any questions at all, please place it into the chat box um, if you'd like. And I'm just gonna go ahead and try to go through the presentation as quickly as I can and then leave some time at the end of the show to go back, exit off the screen share thing, and then go into the questions if there are any. If not, feel free to just absorb the information that you're going to learn today. And yeah, I'm really, really honored to come wrap everything up (laughs) for this semester. So let's just go ahead and get into it. So who am I? Well, I'm Steph Sia, aka Kim Chi on stage, also a digital content creator. So I have things like OnlyFans. I create custom videos, do some fetish content. And that's currently what I'm doing at the moment, I'm also a stripper based here in Vancouver as well, pre-pandemic. And also I have danced during the pandemic cause there's only one strip club open right now and the parameters are all wonky, but very grateful that we actually have a venue to work in. So thankful for that. I am a former sugar baby. And if you don't know what that is, we will go into it. <laughs> don't you worry. <laughs> that will be coming up right after in the next slide. As Dr. O'Doherty also mentioned, I am a former SFU alumni and criminology graduate. Yes, go clan. (laughs) I, uh, yeah, I majored in criminology. I graduated in 2012 with a minor in gender studies. So this is really interesting to me because I feel like everything is just coming full circle with everything that I had learned (laughs) during my undergrad, basically where everyone is. Like, I know what you were all going through. <laughs> I was there. So yeah, that's a little bit about what I studied. And then I think there's one more. Yes. Host of the Strip see podcast, podcast, uh, which is available on all podcast platforms, which is about sex work and all corners of sex work, the issues and challenges that we as sex workers go through, um, different types of fetishes, basically every single corner, even different parts of the globe because sex work is a global thing. <laughs> and yeah, I sh- basically share stories I have different guests on every single week and I am on season 2. I'm going to be wrapping up season 2 pretty quickly here and yeah, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> I will definitely go into the story about how that got started and Yeah, new episodes every Sunday. Don't forget to like, rate, share, and review and subscribe. (laughs) Okay, enough about the marketing here. (laughs) So about the podcast. um, You're probably wondering, who am I? What, why the podcast? Where did it start? So I started Strip Iseia back in 2019 and this was during a week when I was dancing at the penthouse. And I was there during a week long booking because, as a stripper, you usually get booked per week. And I was having a conversation with a gentleman, one of the people that was tipping me and was like, Yay, thanks for the money. And then we just got to chatting. And he mentioned something that was really cool that I thought was interesting. And he made a statement saying, Oh, stripper culture is really fascinating. And I was like, Okay cool like what what do you mean by that and he just mentioned oh there's so many different backgrounds there's so many different stories and it's just totally different of what you hear in the media you know because the media and society we usually have this painted picture of you know strippers stereotypically being seen as you know we are we abuse substances. We need saving. All this kind of stereotypical jargon that even for you in the class, you might have heard something. Maybe maybe you might have some kind of preconceived notions like that. I mean, that's what is being told, and what's that's what that's what's being fed out there. And I thought that was kind of peculiar, and I th- I thought about it for a little bit, and I was like, okay the point we all have different stories but they're all different stories and sex work is so vast and I really wanted to kind of dive deeper into that and I want to uncover these stories because I was still dancing like relatively new I would say and I was like well I don't really know much about it myself and I want to educate myself too So two weeks later, I started a podcast (laughs) and that's what it was. It was Strip by Sia. I got the music done. Um, I just started recording with a bunch of the contacts that I knew personally and I pretty much have not looked back since and I've been recording every single week. I have not taken a break yet and it's been like a wild ride. I, I think it's really cool that I get the opportunity to speak with so many people like I've definitely spoken with almost like a hundred like unique people (laughs) from around the globe. So I feel super honored to do that and to paint the story because sex work is work. It is, as I said earlier, a legitimized profession and it needs to be seen as such. So, I mean, we pay our taxes. We've got bills to pay. We have families. We also have relationships too. And why are we constantly only ever seen in the one narrative and why hasn't this narrative been challenged so that brings me to the objective and the why so basically in simple terms I really want to help destigmatize the sex industry and sex work one conversation at a time one interview at a time each interview seems to be getting longer and longer each week It used to be about 45 minutes, now it's like an hour and a half per episode. But I mean, it just shows that there's so much content there and so much to talk about, so much to discuss, right? So it's to tell people stories, to give this disenfranchised group a voice. Oh my gosh, cute dog! <laughs> a group, um, a voice and a platform to provide transparency. To inspire others to speak up and to bring challenges that we go through as a group to light and also just to normalize this dialogue. So hopefully this would be enough to stimulate some change, whether that's in law or like policy changes. I mean, we'll get into the in the topic later about where, like what's happening with that because there's a lot of things happening around the world. Some feathers are being ruffled, but all in a good light, I would say. So Um, there are actually, if you didn't know, there are actually a lot of sex worker podcasts out there, um, including Dani, who I believe has been in the lecture and her podcast is great, 50 plus a tip. And there's also like a lot of hustling style podcasts out there, how to make more money, what your strategy is and, I think that's great. I think it's awesome. I suck at hustling. But like (laughs) my the the goal for my podcast, I would say, is mainly to educate and to advocate for sex workers just because, as I said, there's a lot of unlearning that I have to do. And also most civilians or muggles or non-sex worker folk need to kind of broaden their perspective on and, and kind of have open eyes and open ears. So that's kind of another reason why I want to do this because yes there are a lot of sex workers that listen to my podcast we're all in the community we want to support each other but there's actually a lot of civilians slash muggles, slash non-sex worker folk that actually listen to the show too and that have commented and provided me with feedback and they're like oh hi like I'm a I'm a cis white male and I don't know anything about this world and I'm just learning so much from your show so when I hear statements like that I'm just like whoa this is great. Like, I, I want people to have a takeaway after each episode. I want them to learn something new because, I mean, sex work is changing constantly day by day, and I'm just trying to keep up and, yeah, do my due diligence in terms of educating the masses. So, yeah, there's, like, a lot of Canadians that listen to the show. Um, big chunk of Americans, about, like, 37%. And then a few chunks as well in the UK, Germany, Australia, and some Asian countries as well. So that's just a little bit about um, kind of the demographic, who listens to the show and whatnot. And yeah, hosting has been such a great experience. Um, it's honestly like the best thing I've done in a long time. It's I feel very purposeful and I feel useful. I think it's, it's very, very motivating and... I could sleep at night (laughs) in terms of like, I feel like I'm doing something good. I feel like I'm contributing. So I feel like I'm talking a lot, but let's start getting into the topic of how did I get started into sex work? Cause that's usually a big question. So basically there's three phases for myself. I would say sugar baby. I was a sugar baby. So sugaring is one aspect for about four years stripping, which is still to the present, but very, very slow right now. And then, of course, uh, digital content creation, which I started a couple years ago and also mainly doing now because of the COVID-19 pandemic. A lot of, you know, in-person type of work or services are halted or either, you know, I'm not very comfortable doing a lot of in-person stuff right now. So that's kind of where I am. But yeah, I guess we'll start with sugaring and I'm not referring to the hair removal type of sugaring. I'm talking about being a sugar baby and there's a lot of buzz around this. Yes, it can be quite glamorized and maybe perhaps as students, as if you, you've heard of the website Seeking Arrangement. That is a website I was on before and it was basically a website like to meet affluential men um, from around the world. And I say around the world because a lot of Them were businessmen flying in for a convention or flying in for a business trip from wherever they were, literally from around the world. And Seeking Arrangement is all about uh, mutually beneficial arrangements and where where young women, typically students, can meet wealthy men. And it's very, very similar to a dating app, so like Tinder, like Bumble, Hinge, whatever People use nowadays. That's what we used to use in my time. Um, But basically, it's similar to dating app where you can set up profiles, both um, from the sugar daddy side and from the sugar baby side. Men have to pay a membership. like They have to pay a premium feed in order to be on the website. Students are free. And even part of Seeking Arrangements Marketing Tactic is to offer premium accounts to students if you use your .edu website, oh, like email address and stuff like that. And it's, it was really interesting because I feel my foray, even though I was considered older when I first started, I think I was about 24, 23, 24 when I first started the website, I was really naive about what the site was about. I just thought, oh, paid dinners, you know, get going, um, getting paid to go shopping, you know, going out for drinks, going to hotel bars and that whole like high life. I thought it was so glamorous and fun. I'm like, okay, I can get money for this and it's going to be so easy. But for me, I was in denial about the sexual aspect of it and the sex work that was involved with it. So for me, there's really some blurred lines in between being a sugar baby and being like a like an escort you know so it's a lot of similar similarities I want to say with it but basically you're exchanging sex for either an allowance what they call it or gifts or vacations or jewelry or Christian Louboutins or Louboutin bag or whatever luxury designer goods that you want and I definitely made a lot of mistakes (laughs) during that. Like, yes, it was great. I got to see many different countries from around the world traveling. And, you know, I'd be away for one night in New York City and then come back the next day, all expenses paid, and then have cash in my hand. But then when I was first starting out, I also made a lot of mistakes. (laughs) I pretty much had sex for free, I I feel like. And I felt used. I... I felt dirty sometimes too and I just really wasn't sure what the heck I was doing um and it was crazy because like again I was older most of the sugar babies on the website are around like 20 years old some as young as 19 like really young and I felt like I was in control and I knew what I was doing but then I was again just really really naive about the whole topic so I actually stopped sugaring because it was kind of screwing around my mental health a little bit. (laughs) Like, do I want to do this? Like, I don't know. Like, I really want to, you know, make a relationship and, you know, have a family at some point. And it's crazy because a lot of my clients back in the day, they were, of course, as expected, much older men, about 20 to 30 years older than me. But what I found was interesting, because I used to actually have a blog on this, and I used to blog about my experiences being a sugar baby around the city, which doesn't exist anymore, otherwise I'll share the link. Um, But a lot of them, I found, were suffering from loneliness, I find, Um, that, and also a lot of them just wanting companionship, like a lot of these men, are very, very career-driven, and just missed out on a lot of uh, personal relationships, I found. So I feel like they were trying to, you know, catch up on that or just trying to fill a void with sugar babies. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But um, that's not something that I wanted to do in the long term. And then I quit. And then during that time, I kind of started stripping it. At, at the same time, I was... I'm also a professional pole dancer. So I was... Prepping for my very first pole dancing competition, and my friend told me that they were doing an amateur night. And an amateur night is basically a contest where anyone can join, any sorry, any woman can join, and you can try your hand at stripping, they'll pick the music for you, you could keep all the tips, and there's a cash prize at the end, plus a potential opportunity for you to be employed um, as a stripper. So I did a lot of amateur nights. I won a few amateur nights, but deep down inside, I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. I have a full-time job. I don't want to be seen as a stripper. And that to me had a, it held a really negative connotation to it until finally they were able to grant me a position that I was able to just dance at the clubs that were downtown because the way things work in BC is that you have to win one of the amateur nights, then you get sent out to, say, Merritt or Prince George or Camel River or, like, much farther off places outside of the Lower Mainland. So I was like, no, I cannot do that. I work Monday to Friday full-time in a civilian job. There's no way I can do that. So they were able to grant me some exceptional access to the downtown clubs, which is nice. And then I just never looked back since and I love dancing I love stripping it's so rewarding and so fun um I guess the way that it's structured that most people won't know but um at to to dance on stage you have to be represented by an agency the agency will book you you get paid per show and there's typically about 15 shows per week like on a weekly basis and then you get your tips on stage You can also VIP or private dance, which the house will take a cut on. And there's also some house fees and about 25% that the house will take at the end of the week as well. So there's a bit of cuts there. Um, There are lots of talks about strippers wanting to unionize at this point too, because we're seen as independent contractors. But given the parameters that they give us and people are like, oh, well, this is more like of an employee status, which is problematic too. But I'll, if there's time at the end, I'll be able to talk a little bit about that too because there's a lot of gathering and organizing when it comes to strippers and like unionizing, which is kind of a hot topic right now too. So that's a little about my origins. And also, I guess with content creation, especially with COVID, I've had to move my Work online mainly. So, again, as I said, I tried camming. Didn't like camming. I have started my OnlyFans before the pandemic, but it really, really ramped up last year, which has been really fun. Um, But then again, it's also very oversaturated, and there's there's a lot of people wanting to start an OnlyFans, not realizing sex work is work, and they just think I'll take a couple naked pictures, never post again, and the money's gonna flood in and it just i'm sorry it just doesn't work that way <laughs> so um it's a it can be a lot of work i actually prefer working in person um as opposed to digitally sometimes because really it's it's a lot of upkeep like you you're having to run your only fans website you're having to interact with every single person making them feel special make these custom videos <laughs> lots of different types of distribution channels as well. So you have to be really organized to kind of stay on top of things and also be a marketing master. So (laughs) lots of things going on there. Um, But that's pretty much my history in terms of sex work. Um, We can kind of go into language, some terms, some definitions. And I just wanted to ask everyone what, what their definition of sex work is. Um, you are more than welcome to put it into the chat box if you'd like. I'm going to go ahead and define, just keeping in mind at the time, (laughs) define what I think is sex work in my own words, in my own terms. And I believe it's like a type of sexualized service in exchange for money or affluence or status or power. So um, for me, I like using the, the term sex work. I know Tamara had sent a few questions like, what do you think the students, um, what kind of term do you think students can use? And I personally believe that sex work is, I guess, the PC term to use for both sex workers and non-sex workers alike. So that's kind of what I believe I should do. And hopefully, maybe you students can also adopt as well. So there's different kinds of terms, sex work, prostitution, commercial sex, which I'm sure um, Dr. Doherty has gone over all throughout um, class throughout the semester over the past four months. <laughs> but I also want to bring it up in terms of the stigma in titles too. So I'm really actually glad, um, Tamara, that you asked in terms of like what do you call yourself, what do you call this body of work, um, because there is still a lot of stigma in that that is held in titles. So I'll just give a few examples here that came at the top of my mind, but. Stripper versus exotic dancer, prostitute versus like an escort or a sugar baby, porn star versus adult entertainer, sex trade versus sex work. Some of those hold, um, I guess historically just a more, um, heavier or negative connotation to it. And I mean, speaking on the stripper side of things, I feel like there's and it's a there's been a lot of talk in terms of stripper versus exotic dancer, but um, before the term exotic dancer was used because stripper was a negative way to look at things, but then now you're seeing exotic dancer. Now there's some negative connotations that come with the word exotic and that relates to fetishization and colonization. So it goes through different cycles, I find, and I'm. Again, still constantly learning, I just had a few guests that did a whole episode on the term exotic and how that can be problematic in some cultures and communities. So for me, forever a student, still learning, but I just wanted to bring up that there is still a lot of tabooness and also stigma and shame that comes in labeling. So yes. Um, we're going to keep going. Oh yeah. The hierarchy. I forgot. And the, 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 <laughs> the diagram is right here and there, the hierarchy is something in sex work where there's, as you can see this pyramid and see what's at the top and see what's at the bottom. And they're all a little bit different, but this is generally speaking. So cam girls on the top, strippers can be next. I would say sugar babies can be the next three are around the same. So sugar babies, dominatrixes, um, indoor prostitutes, and then street-level prostitutions at the bottom. So some sex workers, even within our community, still believe that there is this hierarchy. Cam girls, because they have the safety of being behind a computer, they don't have to do any kind of in-person sexualized service. They They feel sometimes... And I'm not saying that I I share these opinions at all. But sometimes people think that they are better than or higher than because they don't actually engage in any sexual services that involves some kind of penetration. And it's a problematic thing that unfortunately exists and that I, I keep hearing more and more stories on, which is honestly really, really shameful that we have to be kind of fighting around this topic is just it's awful i feel like everyone else in society is already against us and then to have these inner kind of fights and battles just is like another thing that is just not nice so i just want to bring that diagram to (laughs) the forefront as well because yeah there sometimes people just think that we're not all on the same page But um, isms, injustices, and intersectionalities. So yeah, we are a marginalized group of people. We encounter racism. I am going to talk about the Atlanta attacks. There's classism, ableism, gender issues. So many issues with being in a marginalized group. But also when you add on these other layers, such as race, such as your class, such as your gender, it complicates things and it also... Places an additional target on our backs, so it it's hard. I'll, and I'll give a few examples. I know it's already oh my gosh thirty seven thirty. So um, <laughs> um, we definitely go undergo censorship on different levels. So, for example, censorship on platforms via shadow banning. So on Instagram, for example, if you click on a hashtag nothing will show up that means your account is shadow banned because you've probably breached one of the terms and conditions or terms and services that instagram has and instagram does not like sex burgers a lot (laughs) our bodies tend to get censored quite often our accounts get deleted with no explanation it's very hard to appeal and get those accounts back so those are some things that we currently have been going on and on and on and through for the past couple of years um I wanted to mention um safe space so uh, yes it's a safe space for trans queer non-binary non-binary folks BIPOC disabled bodies so I feel and I've also talked about this in other episodes too that the client and also providers can also benefit from our line of work especially for those who are wanting to express their sexuality in a certain way and and or desires in a safe way just because um, a lot of these groups fear of being outed, which also is another thing too. Being outed as a sex worker is another thing as well. There's just a lot of, there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot that we go through and it's, it's really disheartening to see. And especially when the Atlanta attacks happened not too long ago, that was an attack not only in women, Not only against Asians, but also against sex workers as well, which was a piece that I really hardly found any information on, which was really frustrating because that was like the first thing that came to mind. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is an attack on sex workers. This guy didn't get his way and he had a, a specific view of what Asian women are to be like, which again is really dangerous and stereotypical because he's fetishizing them, thinking that we are as a people submissive and um it's it really just makes me sick because i have had many conversations and i actually don't really want to call them conversations with clients um making comments in terms of like oh are you filipina i used to date a filipina before oh i've been to the philippines and they're trying to make themselves relatable in a way, and it just makes me really uncomfortable. Or when they ask, oh, what are you? And I'm just like, I'm Canadian. I'm like, no, but where are you really from? I'm like, no, I'm really from, like I was born in Canada. <laughs> but then you know what they're trying to ask. They want to know, what kind of Asian are you? And to me, that's that can be an invasive question because why do you want to know my race? You can kind of tell from the tone of... Some of these men that they can only see you in certain ways. Like Filipinos are supposed to be really great, hardworking people. And again, the whole submissive stereotype as well, which I have many problems on. But it's, it just makes me, as I said, just really, really sick. And it happens to me not only in sex work, but also on a daily day-to-day basis. So, these are just a few things that sex workers go through. There's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot here. It it's really heavy. Um but again, I am truly really just trying to normalize and also bring these instances to life cuz not we we don't always want or we don't always have the opportunity to speak about these experiences. But it's also really, really helpful in terms of under better understanding where we come from and also for you to empathize. So that's a little bit about that. And of course, laws. This is a big one. So I know it's already 734. Oh my gosh. Um, who are they protecting? So I'm sure that Dr. Doherty has talked to you about Bill 36 and I've also talked to um, talked about this in length as well on my podcast. So if for a quick refresh, it was a bill that was enacted in 2014 by the conservative government by Stephen Harper, who remembers that, <laughs> back in the day. And it was introduced, <laughs> oh, nightmares, right? <laughs> as a response to protect those who sell sexual services, protect communities, especially children. Uh, from the harms caused from prostitution. I'm not even really sure what that means, but reduced demand for prostitution as inc- incidents. So this bill has made it an offense to purchase sex, advertise sexual services, um, made an offense to receive money or material benefit from sexual services, procurement, and communicating in a public space near minors. And I'm just shocked that this is, still around and I think um Dr. Doherty and I spoke about this too that like why is this still in effect and again and I actually brought you on my show to explain this in clearer terms because it's very gray area and very selective about who they're trying to protect and I feel in this bill it does nothing to protect sex workers at all (laughs) It's problematic on many, many fronts in terms of it does nothing to protect sex workers. It drives sex workers further underground by removing their filters, removing safe spaces to discuss any type of rates or services, puts them in potential dangerous situations, and also, I just feel it protects the client more so than the provider. And it just deteriorates the conditions in which some forms of sex work, operates and creates vulnerabilities to gendered violence and abuse. The whole assumption that all sex workers are exploited is a dangerous assumption to be made. And this is not, and I'm not trying to say, like I'm not trying to ignore those experiences, you know, where people's stories where they are coerced into sex work or the sex trade, um, I'm not trying to eliminate that. At that point, that's exploitation. That's not sex work anymore um but by lumping them all together it's you're just mixing those who are consenting to do this work with exploited individuals and everyone on my show the almost 100 plus people we all have consented to this work this is a work that we want to do because one it's flexible i mean two the the like the financial freedom we can get from it is pretty awesome as well and for me right now doing online sex work is it's again like safe as well I i am not in a place where I can contract um, COVID or anything like that too so it is um, I'm shocked that it's still in place but as Tamara you brought to my knowledge too that there was a recent charter challenge last week which is very exciting and I was like what is this brand new news this is so exciting and if you haven't heard about this it was a challenge brought on by the Canadian Alliance for sex work law reform and that was from some former and current sex workers and basically they're fighting for um, the prostitution laws as we said that are currently in place that um, their position is that they violate the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And I believe it's a huge news. And I love that it's coming from sex workers themselves, because who usually writes the law? Who usually makes the law? Old white men. I heard this term back when I was in my criminology undergrad, old white men (laughs) and or or non-sex workers, right? So the fact that Again, people are coming together to try to bring on change is truly inspiring and also will hopefully uncover um, the many errors that are on that are in the type of laws that we have right now. So, on that note, there are a lot of unionizing of sex workers. There's the the union. Um, What's it called? Some my notes. United Sex Workers Union there's also been organizing of sex workers specifically strippers in LA to try and uh, gain employee status there is also an ongoing petition as well um, that's helping to create better conditions for sex workers in Canada so there is a lot of change happening across the globe and I think it's progressive I think it's great change I am really proud of the people on the forefront because we need more change in our work we we have just been policed for so long and by people that don't even know what sex work really is (laughs) to be honest and I am hoping to see some real change um hopefully soon <laughs> and yeah i mean if in case you were wondering in terms of where ways you can help with some resources resources i'd be happy to share um those positions that i have online but there's even stuff here in vancouver and also in canada as well great organizations like wish vancouver pivot legal society maggie's in toronto butterfly WorkSafe, TwerkSafe. safe there are tons of resources um where you can help as well and also to further educate yourself on these matters. So yeah, (laughs) I'm hoping that some change will come and also the future changemakers, aka this classroom, will help facilitate that. So (laughs) that is pretty much my presentation there. I know I kept seeing the chat box popping up here, so I wanted to um, also... Give some time to answer some questions that came in. If you have any questions, feel free to go ahead and plug that in to the chat box. Maybe I'll give people a minute. If not, I'm going to go ahead and stop sharing my screen. And everyone is more than welcome to turn on their cameras if you like, I understand now profs are like, I am tired of looking at these black screens. <laughs> I hear you it can get lonely. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and stop. Um, yeah. Let's take a look at um, this chat box. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm going to scroll up. Do you find, I'm just going to go through the questions. So do you find that the pre- preconceived notions put you in danger or place false expectations on you from the clients? Hmm, I I don't think they put me in danger, but definitely false expectations for sure because a lot of times sex work is role play. It's a fantasy that we're doing and sometimes people cannot um, understand the role that we're playing, you know? Um, again for me as a dancer like I am I have I have a persona as well that I am on stage or during different sets and stuff that I want to portray on stage and sometimes people can't see the difference between what is me in real life and usually in sweatpants (laughs) and like a top bun (laughs) and then me being all dolled up at the club I'm guarantee I'm not dolled up even at home I mean these are just eyelashes but and you'd be in camera so <laughs> so yeah um yeah I think I think the clients honestly have a bit of a learning to do and also they need to have the ability to empathize as well so what is the um what is the main difference between an escort and sugaring Honestly, I don't think there is a huge difference between them at all. Um, again, and I feel like they're different even with that genre. There's a small, um, I guess, a hierarchy with that as well. Sugar baby sounds like the more digestible term and, you know, it's more fluffy. And then escort sounds almost like, you know, I mean, this is based on my old understanding, but um, something but more high class. Um, And also, there's also like the really concrete PC term, which is like a full service sex worker, which is really, um, again, they're all very similar. You, You are getting paid on the expectation that you are going to have sex with this man and he will typically pay you in cash or gifts or a vacation. I feel with escorting, it's going to be just cash. Sugaring, because you're mainly dealing with students, typically around like university age, um, people are okay with just getting gifts. Um, we used to call those Splenda Daddies <laughs> when they didn't want to pay cash. And then <laughs> they'd be like fake sugar daddies and you call them salt daddies. And <laughs> yeah, there's a whole thing on that as well. So um, generally, I would say honestly, they're around the same thing. It's just a different title. One's more digestible than the other. Have you? Yeah. Oh, hi. Yes.
1: Yeah. Sorry. Before we move on from this question, I, I have I have a, a question of yours. Yeah. Um, in terms of one of the other key differences, do you think it has something to do with how much of a business? Um, kind Ooh. of attitude you take towards the work? Because yes. I know a lot of independent escorts, independent full service providers who would say Sugaring is just like a part-time gig. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's not like a career or kind of the way that they would set themselves up as entrepreneurs. Do you think yes. that's true or is that also a form of like almost ageism and looking <laughs> down on, on, the, on the, the sugar babies because they're younger
0: for the most part? No, I think that's a great point. That's a really great point. can't believe I missed that. It's so hard to like pack everything into this one yeah, episode. No. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I do have an episode that is called Blurred Lines that goes in terms of escorting and sugaring and prostitution. So please listen. In. But as you said, you yeah, yeah, so you make a great point. Escorting um, and full service sex work definitely has a more business entrepreneurial mindset as opposed to sugar babying. And I did know before some sugar babies that were making bank, like quite, like a very very healthy allowance. But as you said, um, most of the time you are dealing with students, and this can kind of be seen as like their part time job. But also. I feel and this is just a really, really general statement, when you're nineteen and twenty, you don't have the business acumen to think about like, oh, this is this is work and oh I need to save my money and, you know, strategize and you know, what what about the security and stuff like that. Like as an escort not as an escort, I am not an escort, but escorts definitely think this in a business minded way. You know, there's You have to think about deposits. You have to think about your security. What about the blacklists out there? You know, there's a lot of things that you need to consider. And unfortunately, and I can speak from my own experience as a sugar baby, I just thought about, yay, I'm getting like $500. (laughs) Unfortunately, like that's, I was just like, yay, money. All I just see is dollar signs. So yeah, it's, that was a long time ago, but still very vivid in my mind. <laughs> yeah, okay. um, have you found that there is more demand for content creation during COVID? i definitely during March, April, and May of last year, I had a... It was a very healthy on my OnlyFans, very healthy. But at the same time, everyone lost their job. Everyone got laid off. Everyone started joining OnlyFans too. And there was... it's just very very saturated as I said so I don't know if there is quote-unquote more demand because at the same time people are more than welcome to just go on to Pornhub and get porn for free right and I'm not saying that every OnlyFans account is showcasing some kind of pornography no there's it depends on how you're wanting to shape that site or shape that aspect of business right so Right now, it's it's okay, it's okay, but yeah, it definitely went up and down for me last year personally. Is it common for sugaring to be a long-term relationship? Absolutely, yes. In fact, I would always try to advocate for a long-term arrangement as opposed to short-term or PPD, um, aka pay per date. Um, long-term means to me like security security um also you can negotiate a bit more you're you're building a relationship as well and short term you might see that person once twice but you have to be like available too and for me I personally liked the long-term relationships like I had a sugar daddy for three years and it was Uh, an amazing experience like i got to travel the world i got to see many places dine at every single restaurant that i wanted to (laughs) it was great um but yeah it's uh you have to nurture it as well too um and i feel like that part is missed a lot and people are just again focused on cash which is fine but at the same time like you you need to be you need to be like a customer success uh customer success manager you have to be able to nourish those relationships and that's really important in your success as a sugar baby or any kind of um sex worker hustle kind of gig um have you noticed any positive changes in regards to the view most people have of sex work in your day-to-day in recent years since diving further into the culture and working to de de-stigmatize the industry yes um i also think that is because we're really open here on the west coast specifically the west coast and also in north america i feel depending on where you are it's um a lot more we're we're very open and it's also digestible as well in fact (laughs) whenever i went to like when i used to party back in the day um people would be really nonchalant about like oh You dance at what club? Oh, I know this person and blah, blah, blah. And she's a stripper too. Do you know this stripper? And it would just be so commonplace, especially here in Vancouver, I find. I feel, I think it's just normalized in a certain way, but maybe I'm also blind because I'm in that circle too. So, um, but it can be hard, especially generationally with, say, my parents. Um, It's really hard for them, especially... Them coming from a Roman Catholic background and really rooted in such <laughs> <not jammer's> face, <laughs> really rooted in Christianity and also just like a conservative kind of mindset. Um, it's been really hard for me to be truthful and also to teach, and I have to like my mom's only just finally getting it now, which I think is awesome. But I've it's I've been dancing and stuff for like five years now, so. It's taken some time, (laughs) but better than nothing. Do you think an increase in more accessible services like OnlyFans and other related sites helps destigmatize sex work? I think it can. Yeah, I think it can. But it's also dangerous too in, in ways. So if you remember in, I think, the summer where that nurse from New York got outed and then she, yeah, like everyone was harping on her. And seeing, like, oh, like, she has an OnlyFans, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, isn't the problem here that, like, being a nurse in New York City during a pandemic, like, can't pay the bills? Like, isn't that the proper headline? So I I feel like it definitely goes both ways. Um, But honestly, with the whole surge of people joining OnlyFans and sites like that, I feel like people just try it once and then they, like, forget how to... They just forget about the account or again not acknowledging that it is work which i think is going the backwards way and not being progressive so yes and no <laughs> with the rise of internet-based sex work like only fans do you think that l- new legislation needs to come forward and protect sex workers on the web does participating in services like only fans come with its own safety concerns for the worker example stalkers unauthorized distributing <laughs> yes of nude photos hacks yes Yes. Oh gosh. I just think that sex work and sex work in general just needs more protection. Um, nobody likes us on the internet. <laughs> Instagram hates us. Anything Zuckerberg related, they hate they hate us. Um, we're censored constantly. Even like financial services like PayPal are also not sex worker friendly. So do try not to use that if you are a sex worker. Because they can basically shut down your account and you can't withdraw anything. And that's happened to a lot of my friends. Even like um, bigger companies like Amex, they don't like sex workers too. So I feel like something needs to change. And again, it goes back to that really simple understanding of this is a legitimized profession and people need to recognize it as so. And again, having more normalized conversations like this to stimulate that. So... I guess, oh, hi, we have, hi, question.
1: <laughs> I do. I just, um, to pick up on, on this point about normalization and, and why this happens and why it's so much like this, this hatred on for sex workers online, um, again, the law and the government has a role to play here too, right? Mm-hmm. So we see like FOSTA-SESTA, for example, in the US or the, the Canadian version of advertising, communicating. These criminal laws make it that organizations and businesses can do this to sex workers and in fact it makes it that they must do it to sex workers so we do have to keep seeing those connections here because if you're ultimately wondering what can i do well um stand up and do what you can to you know access and change change these laws and support the groups who are trying to change them with you
0: absolutely and also listen to tamra's episode like basically (laughs) it was crazy i'm just like and the political agenda behind Love these laws is really just mind blowing and also just very, very po- problematic for um, us as a group. So, yes, thank you for that. <laughs> Sometimes they just keep talking. Um, and I guess to the other half of that question does participating in services like this have its own safety concerns? Yes, of course. Yeah, absolutely. One being outed if you don't want to be outed, if you're doing this kind of in secret. Um, also, yeah distribution for sure people can just easily take a screenshot also again if there are any sex workers in this group um make sure you're taking um the exif data off of your photos before you upload because that can show some gps coordinates in terms of where you are located again to go with the stalker question and yes stalkers um can definitely be a problem and that's why we have the block feature <laughs> on many of these because yeah that it it can definitely happen um yes um and hacks of course too and kind of data breaches um whether or not you're a sex worker yes that can definitely happen as well so yes um did you did what you learned in school give you a certain perspective before you started working has anything drastically changed or is not quite correct that you want us to know since we're in school now oh yay oh my gosh yeah jeez. Well, I went to SFU specifically for the criminology program, specifically because I wanted to go to law school. And then it did not happen that way because I actually started a food business (laughs) during my third year in school. Um, Rest in peace, Dolce Delights. I used to do cupcakes and the cakes and stuff (laughs) back in the day. And um, yeah, honestly, I... I would say definitely take advantage of the opportunities that you have at SFU, make those great connections that you can, um, get to know your profs as well. They can do wonders for you. If you have the opportunity to do, um, a co-op or even, um, what was his name? The one that does field studies. Uh, I forgot. Neil Boyd? No, I can't remember. (laughs) But yeah, definitely try to take advantage of any kind of, um, um, depending on what you want to do, but some kind of work experience that can prepare you for the real world. And also do some research in terms of what uh, field that you want to pursue after, after you graduate. I think that's also really important. For me, things definitely changed in third year And I didn't know which way I was going to go. I'm obviously no longer pursuing, um, criminology. Although the last company I did work for was a forensics company, which was really, really interesting. And they helped, um, solve crime by way of, um, forensic evidence. So that was really cool, but probably the only thing that I did that was related to my degree, but, um, the skills I learned at SVU honestly were great, especially, in terms of critical thinking and challenging things that I had believed in. Because I went to like a small little private Catholic school back in like my elementary days and high school days. And then getting to university, I was just like this naive kid and just was like, what is going on here? <laughs> what is happening? But um, really having an open mind and, um, uh, perspective where you can that's kind of neutral and you just can kind of take things and make your own judgments on it i think is really really important but yeah for me in terms of like getting a job and stuff um after school definitely try to get some kind of work experience i think that will definitely make a huge huge difference um especially in in terms of like your success post-graduation um how do you find sharing your work with people in your life like your family and friends is there eagerness to know how your workday was? Honestly, I've always been so open about this. Even, as I said, when I was a sugar baby, I used to have a blog where I used to—not even anonymous—I just did it because I thought it was really fascinating. I'm like, I'm doing my own research. This is really cool. Yay, Psych 102. Like, <laughs> and like to me, like it was fascinating, and I feel I. Really wanted to share these experiences, even at that early age of, I want people to know about this because it's still like taboo to me, and also I don't know much about this. There's not much research out there, at least when I was younger, and it's um. I feel like I wouldn't even think people have really asked like how my day was after club. It's more so like, how much money did you make? <laughs> Which is, I mean, a fun question, but at the same time, so like, why would you ask me that? <laughs> you know, so, but some people do. And um, my mom's side of the family is very, very conservative. So a lot of my aunts and cousins, um, there's like a lot of gossip. So that's always fun because my sister is now defending me. And she's like, well, why don't you ask yourself if you really want to know? <laughs> so that's been cool. Um, but um, yeah, I've always been open, even with... Um, my Instagram too I use my real name I don't go by my stage name but that's just something I've always adopted early on and that's also another trend that I'm seeing nowadays too with the strippers I do know especially the ones in here in Vancouver they just put their real name on there too and it's again the unblurring of the lines and having both worlds come together because even though I play a persona it's still a part of my personality too so um, yeah, in your experience, um, oh, so many questions. in your experience and what you know for colleagues, to what extent does Canada incorporate the experiences and voices of sex workers in current relevant laws and policies? Great question. Oh gosh. Well, as, as we said earlier with the Bill 36 slide, oh gosh, um, I don't think they have been doing a lot to incorporate us at all. <laughs> in fact, um, there was another case in Ontario where my friends from Worksafe to Worksafe they just won like their recent legal case, at least the first uh, first step. Um, but I think they challenged like the government of Ontario in terms of, well, all the clubs are shut down there and basically they weren't consulted. <laughs> and again, it's just then that's just an example of of how they're not incorporating us at all um and it's really really problematic because again people are making laws and policies surrounding our work but they don't actually have any real tangible experience or have either consulted anyone from those communities so um in my experience no (laughs) they canadian law has not incorporated any of our voices at all um yeah so hopefully there will be some change to those laws with that new challenge. So fingers crossed. Oh yes, this is a good one. Do you find that people still try to employ the savior rescue narrative with you? Yes, all the time, yes. And it's just really exhausting. Like what is this like savior complex? What do you need to save me from? I chose to be here. Like I want to do this job. And again, with that whole narrative, the one narrative that, oh my gosh, we're forced into this situation and we don't want to be here. No, it's definitely the opposite, and I get that a lot, um, even with small comments. Oh, oh, like, what's a pretty girl like you doing in the club? I'm like, well, I am pretty, and that's why I'm here. Like, (laughs) sorry, that's that's also plays a part. So, yes, (laughs) it's been it's an exhausting um, question, an exhausting stance that I really hope um, dies soon. Um, You mentioned a little bit about having personal relationships, how has stripping and creating digital content affected your relationships, and has it had a large impact on dating? Oh gosh, yes, I did, I stupidly did and participated in a sugar baby reality show back in 2017 that was not the way that I, after editing, it was just not, in the fashion or the style that we were advocating for and of course with Vancouver everything gets sensationalized and uh, glamorized and they show the high life and all this stuff and it honestly it ruined one of my relationships very early on um it has been difficult honestly um for a long time sometimes until I started really owning that hey I do this work and I like to do this work and if you don't like it, then you can just walk away because I don't have time to entertain this. <laughs> I just really don't have the energy or the mental capacity to deal with people that are not going to agree <laughs> with um, what I choose as a profession. So that has been challenging, but it's also been great because I one of my clients actually turned into my partner. So <laughs> one of my fetish clients. So that's been really, really cool and also really not expected but because um they know what I do they are just wanting to help support me like can I help you shoot some content what about this outfit well what about that so it's been really awesome in that in that friend so but it's also been difficult too because like oh like oh, I think sometimes there's like a little bit of jealousy or maybe not jealousy but just more um protectiveness definitely protective it's not jealousy but um just worried about like oh like you're gonna be coming home really late from the club do you want me to pick you up kind of thing so but generally speaking it's pretty healthy um you mentioned you have another civilian job do people at your other job know that you're a sex worker if so how has the response been yes oh my gosh yes my last two jobs including the forensic place knew that i was a sex worker because it's plastered all the all over the internet and i'm telling you i just own it and also my current employers, yeah, they have been awesome. I work for an all-female uh, recruiting agency and I am actually working on the marketing team there. And they, the first like team huddle was like, Steph's an exotic dancer. I'm like, this is great. I mean, they also asked me if they can say that information, which is great. But I'm just like, yes, this is like a huge part of my identity. Of course, like, I'm really proud of it. I really want to show that and wear that on my shoulders. So absolutely, yes. And the response has been great. They feel like they see my stories they're like oh you just went back to the club after a long hiatus how is that blah blah, blah. how's the experience what is it like inside is there a plexiglass or blah, blah blah like just genuine curiosity which i think has been welcomed um you say you said you do fetishes for people is there anything that is off limits to you um a lot. Yeah, actually, I do have boundaries. <laughs> we all do. We all have boundaries. But for me, there, a lot of it is off limits right now because I'm not offering any in-person work. But oh gosh, things that are off limits to me, anything with bodily fluids, I am really not a fan of. Um, I think that is honestly mainly, and I'm pretty open about it any kind of kink or um any type of fetish because i just find it really fascinating and i do a lot of episodes on specific fetishes because there's just so much out there and that's like a whole other world of of things in in the sex work and what i find truly fascinating um how do you view the canadian police officers Ooh, hot topic (laughs) and how does your experience differ from street sex workers or other more marginalized workers um honestly what i feel i am pretty neutral so there is a lot of defund the police and personally and politically speaking i am all for um not defunding the police completely but more so with allocating those funds to where we actually need it more education on how to deal with um Um, mentally ill people, um, maybe less on the weapons, more on diversity, how to deal with different gender identities and different types of people. I think there needs to be more of that training. I I don't know much about policing except for the one corrections class that I took back in the day. So that was just very, very far from what I was interested in learning on. But that's kind of where I stand in terms of the whole defend the police movement, um, and, uh, Canadian police. I think, I think in general we do a great job. Um, but I think the faults start and end at, um, how people are trained. So it would have to go back to that. Um, what was that other question? It was, Oh, how does the experience differ from street based sex workers and other, um, other marginalized workers, So again, I am a digital content creator, so I'm mainly indoors behind my laptop or behind my phone. So I have that safety and also I dance in the clubs. So it's, it's different. I don't offer any kind of full service sex work at all. Um, because I just am not interested in that. I think it's really hard, um, form of sex work that I don't know if I can handle um and especially like where I am in my life right now too with my current life trajectory it's just not where I'm at but if I was younger then yeah definitely but I would do it in a smarter way (laughs) I was definitely unwise when I was younger so I would definitely do my research (laughs) um is there ageism in the industry yes yes there is but yes and no um a lot of people will say beauty fades um yes but i feel like in a digital way with filters and everything and again just you owning it uh, i think that makes a big big difference people will want um people are attracted to your personality it's not just about looks but it's more so personality if you don't have a personality people are not going to resubscribe to your only fans or your pages or anything They want to be able to interact with you and get to know you. So that's also a big part of it too. People just think it's pictures and videos, but people want the interaction. They want the engagement. Like in this class, which I think is great with the amount of questions that are coming in. I think it's awesome. And people, like that's what's going to sell you, not just your looks. But um, like even some of um, the dancers I know that are much older than me, but they are killing it in the VIP. I cannot... I cannot hustle but I just look at them and I'm like how do you do that like teach me your ways so yes definitely some ageism for sure um and depends like which club you're at and your own personal relationships with uh management there almost done questions almost there oh no there's another one (laughs) has entering sex work changed your perspective on sex such that it's no longer worth it to have casual sex or sex with a significant other I don't offer full-service um, sex work, so I, for me, it doesn't change anything. But um, definitely when I was dating and when I was a sugar baby, I was like, screw Tinder. Like, I'm just going to go seeking arrangement and get paid for this. So, like, it definitely, <laughs> I guess, shifted my mindset before, too, when everything was really, really money-driven. And I think that has been... It's been interesting. And again, me being younger too, and even more so with the students that are usually on there, it's very, you just see dollar signs. That's usually what is driving you. So um, yeah, it, it hasn't changed sex in any way for me personally. No. WorkSafe to WorkSafe is the best name I've heard all year. <laughs> they are great. Uh, definitely check them out. They are doing some fantastic work for sex workers in uh, the Toronto, GTA area as well. And yeah, great, great resource. Um, have you found being open about your sex work and identity has made you more vulnerable to hate attack stigma or have people been respectful and curious of your story and experiences? Honestly, it's all been the latter. It's Everyone has been really, really, really uh, respectful and curious. And I think it's been... Great, I—I I mean, knock on wood—I have not received any kind of hate attack or um, stigma or any kind of um, uh, nasty kind of comments like that at all. And I'm really, truly speaking um, from a place of truth. I have not experienced that in the club. I have not experienced that online um, or anything. And I am very grateful for that. I think it's—I feel very lucky to not have had. Um, any kind of vulnerability in that front but I'm also as I said I'm really really proud of who I am also the work that I do because I really believe this is good work and informative work and then at that um, people can definitely learn about this industry and also this line of work too Um, another question here Along with unionization, what social and political factors among non-sex workers do you think are critical in changing the narrative and stigma of sex work in Canada in the near future? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Honestly, I think, well, one, I think the change really needs to come from the sex workers themselves and to show that, you know, there is an inherent problem here. And we need to be cohesive in terms of like, yes, gathering, unionization. I think that would be really, really helpful. But also having some, and they don't have to be sex workers, but someone with a sex worker-based understanding to be in office um, or some kind of more like representation. Because um, again, I, I, another reason why I do this podcast because I feel like a lot of us just don't have a voice. We don't have a platform. No one listens to us. No one likes us online. It's It puts us in this really odd corner that um, we sometimes get overlooked. Like in the Atlanta attacks, I feel like that whole narrative was just erased or missing, <laughs> which to me was like mind boggling. Um, yeah, I just feel um, there needs to be more better representation for sure. More conversations like this, open dialogue about this work so we can normalize it. And I think that to me is really, really important. Um, and another reason why I do the show. And and yeah, like really, really great question. <laughs> I guess to end. Um, I don't think I see any other questions, so thank you.
1: <laughs> One sex step before we let you still let you leave us. Um, Sarvin, <laughs> you have a question, did you want to ask directly?
2: I did. Hi. Hi. Um,
1: Hi, Steph. Thank you so much for being here. Um,
2: Really knowledgeable. Really thank you for all the information. You're welcome. Um, I have two questions, if that's okay. Of course. Um, So the first one is you were talking about the, um, so um, besides the external stigma that sex workers face, you were talking about like the like the horror tree is the word that you yeah. use. How mm-hmm. there's also like internal stigma
0: mm-hmm.
2: um like between sex worker sex workers. And I was wondering like what you why you think that is, like why that exists.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Well, one, I'll talk about my own um I guess my own stigma that I had before, um, in terms of like being a sex worker and also like not wanting to take on that stripper label. I just had my own kind of hesitation towards sex workers to me that sounded like a really negative label and work that I didn't want to be associated with that's not that's not something I ever really wanted I mean it's also I mean it is something that I've wanted to do but I never something I never want to say out loud because of the shame and the judgment that would come along with that and also just and no one I knew around me was doing that and I just felt really really alone And I just feel like, oh my God, no one's going to understand me. I have to keep this quiet. Uh, I just feel alone in that. And also just, I guess, how I've been molded in society, having this way of thinking for so long that sex work is bad, strippers are bad, um, prostitutes are bad, everything bad. And that is something you don't want to do. It's like, that's something like our parents teach us too. Like, driving down Kingsway when I was a kid like back in South Burnaby like that but there was a lot of hookers and prostitutes on Kingsway and I'm like who are those people my parents are like do not be that person and I'm like I don't even know what's going on but it's just like that's something that scared me and I'm like I don't know what that is and I don't know like that to me is a bad thing even though I didn't really fully understand it so that is a little bit of where that is stemmed from again it's just something that I kind of that's the only understanding I knew, and that's something I grew up with which is really really again problematic because it just goes from like generation to generation right and uh the second part of your question was in regards to the hierarchy, um and how uh
2: no the, that was actually just the main the first oh. question it was just about why there's internal um stigma with like with sex workers which I think you address it unless there's more that you wanted to
0: answer? Yeah, there's I guess a little bit more too. So, some people will see that like full service, so um like sexualized service in terms of like kind of penetrative types of acts that's seen as dirty. And you if you saw back in the diagram, cam girls were at the top. We're behind a cam. Oh, we're behind a camera or a laptop. I don't have to engage with anyone physically. I can still keep that purity. If I can say that, you know, and purity is probably the wrong word, but like, um, if that, that trend with that pyramid, let's say like cam girls and the strippers, strippers, we're not engaging with any kind of sexualized, um, service again, like it's, um, sexualized act, but we're not engaging in a, in sex with you know, our tipping clients. So some people view that as, oh, I'm better than you you have to sleep with these men, these old men, or these people like for money. And in the end, like, we are all doing something for money, you know, some kind of sexualized service, there really shouldn't be. um, Again, that kind of hierarchy within our line of work, we're in this together. And like everyone in society already hates us. So let's not be quarreling with each other on something so stupid <laughs> to be honest <laughs> thanks for the question that was great
2: and if it's okay I just have a second question <laughs> yeah please I love
0: this yay engaged students <laughs> um
2: it was it was just regarding when you were talking about the Atlanta shooting mm-hmm. um I remember when that happened and I was just when it was when it first happened I remember just because of this class the first thing that occurred to me was that when they're talking about it being like um in massage parlors I first thought it was um, targeting sex workers before I even thought that it was targeting um, Asian women. Mm, so, yeah. and then I didn't hear anyone talk about it in the news. So I was like, oh, maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe like this is something else. Yeah. So I want to know what, like from your experience, how you think usually the media portrays sex work just because, um, because you know, I, I don't usually pay attention to it. Like I know movies and stuff usually you know show them as being kind of in the background like you said you know using like dependent on drugs and things but like
0: in the news and things how do you think they're usually shown um we're not shown (laughs) we're generally not shown unless it's in a negative way so for example um the missing and murdered women uh, missing and murdered indigenous women like that was a big case because there was a lot of women and also robert picton is a monster but a lot of the times like you'll never see people's names you'll we don't have identities we are just like the scum of the earth and that's kind of how the media portrays sex workers and it's really really problematic because the the, the headlines i was reading is like massage spa workers and like attacks against asians so like, yes but i had the same understanding is you for me when i read massage parlor and i quickly googled all those massage parlors and i like, looked at the reviews i'm like these are all iraq massage parlors just to double check because i didn't want to like is this an actual like a just regular spa or like what kind of adult spa and um like that was the first line of thinking that i thought was this is an attack on sex workers and then i saw who is being attacked and i saw it's also an attack on asians and also attack on women So it was like a triple, a triple attack, basically. And I feel as sex workers were just never addressed unless it's like a sensationalized piece. J-Lo's playing blah, 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 main character in Hustler is a movie about strippers and money heist and whatever that movie was about. You know, like it's sensationalized, it's dramatized. Um, And then when it comes to like, tragic events like this i i in any of the articles i read it said nothing about sex work at all except in my own little forums that i read on like reddit and stuff but again we're typically erased from that people don't want to know who we are people don't want to know our names people don't think there were people you know unfortunately that's how it is portrayed so great question thank you so much you're welcome and
1: nimrit you have a question as well i think
2: yeah uh first thanks for coming and sharing all your knowledge that was really really great and also you said that mark zuckerberg doesn't like you guys but it's okay because nobody likes mark zuckerberg either
0: (laughs) um, i love that i'm gonna steal that but
2: um my question was um did you find that you found like a, a sisterhood, I don't want to generalize just with them, but like a sisterhood um, in stripping and in your podcasting and does that ever intersect or is it is it kind of like your different areas of your sex where it kind of stays separate from each other?
0: How does oh, that that's a great question too. Oh my gosh, again, like not having enough time to talk about everything. But yes, it's definitely a camaraderie between um like strippers for sure, and sex workers in general. For example, and it's something that I forgot. I had notes, but then I stopped reading the notes. um But there's definitely like locker room banter, which I really, really miss. Being backstage when we're all getting ready for our stage sets, or anytime like VIPing at the club, and you really, really bond during that time. I really miss that. Um, being back on stage, um, it was so nice when I returned. Just um, about a month and a half ago to have that again. Um, and also you were asking, do any of those intersect? Yes, because sex workers are are great at, priv- at sex workers are great at pivoting. And we are just really, really great at being resilient because yes, I you know, I'm a stripper and I also do other things too. And same with other sex workers too. A lot of us will have OnlyFans, a lot of us might have a Manyfits account. Another one might be a professional dominatrix and specialize in specific fetish content and uh, cater to the community. So we do a lot of things and that is definitely normal for sure. So that intersects quite often, I would say. And being able to be connected with so many uh, different people from around the globe, different sex workers, um, say like bouncers and like club owners and just every single aspect that I can think of has been really, really awesome. And I really feel that bond um, between any of my guests and also just the community. And I think it's a beautiful thing, actually. I think it's awesome. (laughs) Thank you for the question.
1: We've kept you almost half an hour longer than I said we would
0: (laughs) And also, I think I just kept talking, so I'm really sorry.
1: <laughs> no, no, and my goodness, are you kidding? No, um, we're the ones who who are, who are very lucky to have kept you this long and to hear from you. Um, I'm so grateful that that we got you in here uh, with this class this term. It's you speak so openly and and honestly and just just no hold back whatsoever, and and I, that's really brave because <laughs> I know it's not an easy thing to do, um, but it's it's so great because people are going to understand not a romanticized version and not an Mm -hmm. all negative version, but just the mundane reality, right? That there's positives and there's negatives and there's a whole mishmash of different experiences for every single person and on every single day and with every single client, (laughs) right? So um, I think you're you're actually doing an excellent job of wrapping up the term.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.
1: No, well, I think either. Yeah, I mean, we've talked quite a bit today um, about the issue of stigma. And I think that's actually that's actually how I start this term is uh, talking about stigma and the effects of it. So I think that really does bring us back full circle.
0: So you whole didn't know circle. that. But thank you. <laughs> You're <laughs> so welcome. Recurring theme.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, you can't you can't avoid it. Right. No. no. Um, before we log off, do you have any last comments or, or wishes that you hope students walk away with from this?
0: Oh gosh. Again, just like, thank you so much for the opportunity to allow me to speak so candidly about what I do and uh, the sex work uh, industry and community. And just having like mostly, I guess just everyone having an open mind, I think is really, really key. And also, um, I'm just really grateful to share uh, just a bit of my knowledge with the students here so thank you and everyone good luck on your finals <laughs> thanks again tamra
1: <laughs> you don't need luck they have resources yes <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, thank you so much again. I'm going to stop the recording now and say goodnight to everyone. And Steph, I'll just keep you back for a minute here. But otherwise, thank you everyone for attending. And uh, Steph, I do have all of her contact information for you in the announcement. Um, So by all means, you know, feel free to reach out. I know Steph would be happy to chat longer with anybody.
0: Yes. (laughs) Okay,
1: you're all getting kicked out in a second here.
0: (laughs) and that's it folks i hope you enjoyed that episode i truly had an amazing time in our class the students were so engaged i did not expect that and it was just a great time to speak to students and also to you know give them my experience um because i was once in their shoes i graduated from the same criminology program almost 10 years ago so dr odoherty thank you so much for the opportunity Don't forget, it's new episodes every single Sunday. Don't forget to like, rate, share, and subscribe. Maybe write me a pretty little review. And we will catch you in for season three next week. Bye. You're listening to Strip by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, artwork by Maria Belandirama, music by Ted D, and photography by Ian Daburn.